Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. Today, we're talking about the benefits of walking, and I'm really excited to talk with Annabelle Streets, author of 52 Ways to Walk. Annabelle is a fellow of the Brown Foundation, and you can find her writing in The Guardian, Daily Mail, Telegraph, Tatler, and The Paris Review. Hi, Annabelle. Welcome to the 10 Adventures podcast. Hi, Richard. Thank you so much for having me. I love everything you're doing because I think there's so much benefit to walking. And because it's so easy, like no one knows about it. They kind of, you know, dismiss walking. But before we do anything, you know, your book's been described as a love letter to walking. Why is walking so important to you? Well, there are several reasons. And I think probably I should say that right at, right from the beginning, I grew up without a car. My parents were uh, non-drivers and we lived in a remote little valley in Wales, which no one's ever heard of. And there was no public transport. So we just we just walked. We were, I had a sort of off-grid childhood. I didn't go to school and there was a lot of walking. So walking was always there in my DNA, really. But of course, as a teenager, I, you know, I lost, I lost it. I didn't want to walk. I was fed up with walking. And as soon as I could learn to drive, I got myself a little car, which was very exciting. So I sort of lost that part of myself. But fast forward a few years, and I had this um, rather horrific accident. I fell over. I collapsed, actually, outside of my house. I didn't know where I was. Uh, I was lost outside of my house. Uh, and my skull cracked. And I was taken off in an ambulance to hospital. And for about 10 days, I was in intensive care. And I couldn't walk. So I I broke my skull, but I hadn't nothing else. Nothing else was broken. My legs were fine. So physically, I could probably have got up and walked, but it had affected my vestibular system, my system of balance. So whenever I moved, I felt as though I was sort of very, very drunk and also on a on a you know fast rolling ship in a storm. So really horrible. You just feel incredibly ill and sick and you, you just don't want to move. You just lie there. And while I was lying in the hospital, you know, for all this time, unable to walk, I watched everyone walking past me. And I watched these, you know, these little children with their scooters and old men on their Zimmer frames. And I just looked at all these different people walking in very different ways. And I was so envious. But I also had that sort of a moment of epiphany. I thought, do you know what? I'm, you know, I'm quite old and I've really not appreciated my life of, with, with my two legs. You know, I've just taken them so much for granted. And as I was lying there, I just started thinking, right, these are all the things I'm going to do when I get out of, my, out of this hospital bed. And one of them was, you know, there are no more, no more holidays where we sit by a pool or sit on a beach or anything. I've got four kids and they, they rather like that sort of thing. From now on, you know, we're just walking and I'm not going to use my car at all, except for long distance journeys where I can't get on a train. So I just went through all these things that I knew would make me walk. But, but most of all was this sort of almost spiritual appreciation of my legs. You know, why had I not thanked them every day for, all, you know, for what they had brought to me and what I sort of overlooked? So that, with that sort of epiphany rolling around in my head, I came out of hospital and I just started sort of re, re-oxygenating. I think it was re-oxygenating my life. I looked at everything I was doing that was sitting on a chair. I'm, I'm rather embarrassed that I'm actually sitting on a chair now, but <laughs> I am. But if I if I could do this walking around, I would do. So things like my book group, I said, can we please do that on foot? Can we walk instead of sitting around a table drinking wine? Uh, meetings, can we walk? 
I got myself a, a walking desk. I thought all my research and my writing, because I'm a writer, I'm going to do now walking. So I looked at everything in my life and translated it into its sort of its walking version, if you like. And at some stage, and, so then, and then I wrote a book about walking, about women walking. And then I thought, you know, what? I've got so much information because I've done, I've spent three years researching you know, just the smallest things that happen. You know, what happens in our little toe? What happens in our neck? What, what happens in our brain? All these things that happen when we walk. What happens when we walk at night? What changes when we walk in the rain? You know, what does our body do when we're in snow? What happens to our feet when we go without shoes? You know, just so many things that were fascinating to me. But I noticed that they were being really overlooked in the media because the media, you know, they're looking for sexy, exciting stories and uh, as we were discussing earlier, anything to do with walking is a little bit, well, pedestrian, to use an obvious pun. It's a bit, it's a bit dull, isn't it? Everyone thinks, oh, I know how to walk. That's easy. I've been walking all my life. That's boring. Uh, and in fact, a lot of data coming out and in really interesting studies and reports coming out of these, you know, medical schools and laboratories and universities uh, were showing that actually walking is infinitely more complicated than than we might have thought so that was really the genesis of uh, of this book 52 ways to walk in fact i ended up with 53 ways but but my editor said well 53 that's no good it's only 52 weeks in a year <laughs> so so one got dropped out <laughs> what an incredible you know story to to get to this point uh, i'm really interested in the science aspect um because intuitively i know how good walking makes me feel but when you try and explain it to people they're like you're just going for a walk. Like I go for walks all the time. And it's like, there's something incredible about it. But like, I always crave, I wish I had the science to back up why this is, you know, so powerful, just at least for me, makes me feel great. Uh, can you share some of the some of the science so the listeners can have the facts as well when people make fun of us for walking to pick up groceries? At least we have our, oh yeah, but here's some facts that shows this is a good thing to do for, you know, for mental health or physical health or, or whatever. That's very important. That's another reason I wrote the book, actually, was because my children kept saying, I don't want to walk. <laughs> so I thought I needed lots of excuses up my sleeve. Um, so there are several things that happen when we start moving. And, and very obviously, blood and oxygen start moving around our body, just circulating up to our brain and back down in a way that they're not when we're just sitting on our, on our butts. That's the first thing. The second thing is we start producing, from the minute we start moving, we start producing endocannabinoids. And endocannabinoids are molecules that make us feel good. They make us happy. I mean, they, they are also found in cannabis and they are virtually the same molecule and they do virtually the same thing, but we produce them endogenously and we produce them, our own body produces them. They calm us uh, and they lift our mood. What's really interesting uh, and what's been discovered just this is and this is really really new they've only just i say they researchers have only just realized the existence of endocannabinoids in the last couple of years so uh they as soon as we start mu moving our bodies start producing them literally within minutes so researchers have found that you only need to walk for 10 minutes to have a really dramatic effect on your mood so 10 minutes, that's all it takes. But the great thing about endocannabinoids is that they then stay around, you know, just sort of swishing through our swishing through our body and our brain. And the great thing about them is they cross the blood brain barrier, which endorphins don't. Uh, the great thing about them is they then linger for 30 minutes, about half an hour. So you can go for a 10 minute walk, come back feeling, you know, pretty good. And you you know that you will feel pretty good for another half hour. 
I'm not quite sure what happens after that. After that, they, they just, you know, they, they start to just dissipate. You have to go for another walk, I think. <laughs> so that's the other thing. But there's also, there's, I mean, there are several things. It also depends on where you walk. So endocannabinoids, you just produce anywhere. It's about the movement. But when you're outside uh, and you're in sunlight, sunlight falls onto your skin. And when it falls onto your skin, it makes the hormone serotonin. And serotonin also makes you feel good. That's you know, often known as the happy hormone. I'm not sure you're getting that much in your cabin, Richard, because you, you need to be you need to have light and you need to have this. You need to have the, the sun on your skin. That's another thing. And then another one is that researchers now think that depression is partially caused by inflammation. So a lot of a lot of people, a lot of doctors now think that depression is an inflammation of the brain. And that also explains why a lot of people who are sick with you know some sort of inflammation in their body whether that's diabetes or ulcerative colitis or whatever it is um they will often feel you know depression will 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 be the ugly sister of illness because it's the same mechanism happening so when you when your body is inflamed that interferes with a lot of the hormones the neurotransmitters that make you feel good so serotonin dopamine uh, adrenaline or the ones that make you feel you know upbeat uh, they stop being produced in such abundance. But as soon as you start exercising, the exercise affects the level of inflammation, inflammation falls away. And so those feel good, those other feel good transmitters start working again. So all of this is just sort of being unpicked by uh, scientists at the moment. But there are there seem to be several reasons that we feel good when we go for a walk. And of course, we're also finding out that when we go for a walk uh, in woodland, or beside water, there are other factors that come into play, whether those are phytoncides, the terpenes from trees, whether they are uh, negative air ions from water, but there are all these other um, molecules that also then affect our mood. That's super interesting that there's all this science about why, you know, for me, walking just makes me feel good. And I know before winter last autumn, my, my, we walked our kids to school every day. And it was about a 50 minute round trip walk. And every day I'd, my wife and I would say, we just feel incredible. Like what a great way to start, start the day. You know, here we are, the school year's almost ended. We had a long winter and we haven't started it again. And uh, hearing you talk, I'm like, that's probably why I felt incredible every day. Cause we started off with all this, um, just going for a walk to school and back. Uh, I have a question. So walking's really great for, you know, for the body, for, you know, all these, you know, just kind of feeling good. But is it different than going on like really hard exercise? Like, are there benefits to this kind of this lower impact walking versus like going for a run or going for a really hard cycle or something like that? Yeah. So when it comes to mood, um, depression, anxiety, just what, what's happening in our brains, uh, lower intensity exercise is infinitely better to high intensity. So a walk is better than going for a run. At least that, that's what the data shows, that our bodies respond to it. And they think that's because when we walk, it gives time for all those this hormones we were just talking about, the serotonin and the endocannabinoids and everything. It, walking gives them time to just sort of, you know, just sort of wind their way around the body. Whereas when we run, that's really, we're putting our bodies under quite a bit of stress. Even, even if we run a lot, the body is still under stress when we run. I mean, I, I like to think of it a bit like, you know, a bit sort of in terms of evolutionary biology. We were really designed to walk. I think women in particular, and there's some quite interesting data that, that suggests that walking is particularly good for women. I mean, historically, 
we were we were the foragers. So we would go out and we'd often be carrying weight. So muscle is really important, which we can come back to. Women were often carrying they they were carrying the babies and the water and the firewood. And, you know, and then picking all of the herbs. And that's another point. We must come back to mixing up our movement. Uh, and so that idea of just walking for, you know, walking mile after mile is, uh, is, is probably also we're sort of we're hardwired to, to want to do that. With men, I think it's slightly different because as hunters, they would have short periods of running where they would be trying to outrun uh, a deer, for example, or whatever they were, whichever animal they were trying to capture for the evening's meal. Uh, and, and, their, and so their movement was a bit more it was short sprinting, then walking, uh, and then perhaps a bit of jogging, then a lot of sitting down, I think, <laughs> while they cleaned the animal. So, so it, it, seems, it seems as if men and women are biologically slightly different, perhaps because of those evolutionary roots. But definitely, you want to be doing moderate exercise for for mood. So, Annabelle, you talked about uh, walking in nature. But if people are, you know, only doing that, how important is it for them to start adding regular walking just in their urban environment? You know, walking around their community. Yeah, it's not going to be, you know, big trees or streams or lakes. Uh, it's going to be kind of an urban environment. Is that still as beneficial? Yes, definitely. And one of the things that um, researchers have also found is that our mood lifts more quickly, more effectively if we walk a bit faster. So, you know, the old amble, the amble around the field is not going to lift your mood as quickly as walking quite briskly. And the city is particularly good for that because the terrain is very, it's very easy to walk on. You know, you just walk along pavements or along the edge of a river or uh, you know, it, it's they're straightforward to walk, aren't they? They're straightforward. You're not stopping to navigate or to wonder where you are. You can just walk. And the other great thing about being in a town or a city, assuming that you live there, is that you can factor walking into your daily life, whether that's the school run or whether that's going and getting your groceries, which I always do on foot now and I never go in the car. I take my backpack and put my groceries in it. Whether that's going to the dentist, the hairdresser, whatever it is, most people can probably walk or find one that's within walking distance, perhaps not in some of those larger American suburbs. Uh, and I've never been to Canada, but certainly in the UK, anyone in a city can walk to certainly to a shop and probably to a school and to a dentist or to an optician. So if you start factoring in those appointments and make them walking appointments and you just don't give yourself quite enough time, that will also compel you to walk fast. So if you know it's going to be a 30 minute walk and you give yourself 28 minutes, then you know you're going to be really striding. And that also is particularly good for well for the heart, but also is good. It's good for the mood. That's so interesting. I didn't I didn't realize the faster walking had those benefits. So one thing I've found is. I've solved a lot of problems out on a walk and I've never gone on the walk thinking of the problem. Usually it's just mid stride, just like a light bulb goes off and I'm like, that problem, here's how we solve that. You know, a lot of them related to, to business or work. And it always surprises me that they just come out of nowhere. Like, is there any research on why that, that happens? Because I know it's not just me. There's lots of great thinkers throughout time that have used walking. Like Steve Jobs was famous for walking meetings where Let's just get out and, and walk and talk about it. But like, is there science behind why that happens? Yeah, it's just being unpicked. But neuroscientists think that what happens is that when we when we start walking and we've got all that oxygen and blood going around in our brain, uh, pathways start to open up between different parts of our memory. So if you think we have 
quite a lot of memory stored in the hippocampus. We have memories stored in other parts of the brain as well, which are normally sort of, you know, slightly sort of isolated. But when we start to move, uh, pathways open up between the different parts of our different parts of our memories, really. So we start drawing on different experiences that we've had, things we perhaps don't quite remember. But this is all happening without us being consciously aware of it. We're not thinking, oh, I remember when I was <laughs> when I was in Toronto and I saw that house. You know, so it's all sort of just it's just start, it's just sort of swimming around in a way that it doesn't when we when we sit still and it all just goes back to little separate houses, if you like, little separate archives. So that's what they think is is happening um but of course there are other other things that i think you know when we walk particularly if we're having a walking meeting you know it's just we're not we're not eyeballing someone we're not no one's looking at us and we're not looking at anyone so we're less distracted with things uh to do with you know how we look or watching someone's body language and i think then we just start to think in a little bit of a more fluid freer way so so walking meters are fantastic for that because you just you're not looking at each other and so you can just let the ideas come and perhaps you're a little bit less critical of your own ideas and more willing to let them out you, you know it's, it's interesting you talk about like the the lack of body language and how you have a bit more freedom walking uh, i have social anxiety so like for me to go to like a, a drinks event with a bunch of people i don't know terrifies me but going on like i i lead trips in a hiking club and going out with 14 strangers I've never met before for eight hours, you know, walking together, it doesn't, I, I really like it. And uh, I feel like there's some aspect of, you know, maybe the egalitarian or maybe it's, the, you know, you're walking beside somebody, you know, you can, you can talk with somebody, you can step back. It's really beneficial for building relationships with strangers, but also like with my wife, with my kids, like how often do you have eight hours without devices or interruptions or, or, or things to do. It sounds like it's not just me that has this. Is there research about how walking helps that aspect of you know, people connecting with others? Yes, quite a bit of research and some really quite quirky, quite quirky research. One of, the, one of the papers I found was done by a university in the north of England, and it looked at how people judge distances and heights when they're with friends. So if you walk on your own, you might think, oh my gosh, that that hill I'm walking to, it's miles away and it's so high and you'll feel very intimidated. Whereas if you had your friend next to you, this exact same distance would look infinitely less intimidating. And, and no one really knows why this is, but it's just one of, the, one of the sort of more interesting findings that being with other people, and this was actually particularly people that you like, um, things that would intimidate you on your own are no longer intimidating. So that suggests that you would be more likely to walk further. You would be more encouraged to climb a bit higher. Uh, and then, of course, that's also good good for your good for your health and well-being because you've just gone that bit further. So yes, yeah, so walking with other people, and again, I think it's also you know the whole body language when you've got people in a room. You know, some are taller and they're looking down on others, and if you're short, you know, you you feel like you're looking up. There's just so much happening, isn't there? And also, there's something about walking, the ability to shift out of a conversation without upsetting anyone you just you're having a conversation with someone that perhaps they're a little bit boring or it's going somewhere you don't want to go you just say excuse me i've got to do my shoelace up or you just hang back a bit and look at a flower it's very very fluid isn't it you don't have that terrible you know i'm stuck here with someone in the corner of a room <laughs> how do i get away you know it's got that lovely sense of 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 space you know being in space and just being able to opt in and out when you feel comfortable yeah, I haven't thought of that, but that actually is a good point is it's easy to enter in a conversation. We're walking beside each other. Let's chat or, oh, the you know conversation has reached its end. I'll go get a drink of water or, you know, you can you can have, you know, none of that 
anxiety or pressure of, oh, we've got to find something to talk to, we can talk about the trail. We're both on it. And as we discussed earlier, we've got all these great hormones going through our brains, making us feel happy because we're out in nature and, and exercising. Um, yeah, it, it is. It is. I always tell people, if you want to connect with other people, joining a, a walking or a hiking club is really a great way if you struggle at that or if you find it, it, it really, really stressful. Now, you also mention uh, in your book, the spiritual benefits of walking. And I, I asked you before interviews, I haven't thought about the spiritual benefits. So I'm really interested in hearing more about about this aspect because it's not something, you know, there's something that's really emotional connecting with people who like to walk, but I haven't thought of the spiritual aspect. So can you share a little bit about, about what you found with that? Yeah, it's probably the most difficult aspect to articulate because the language isn't really there, is it? It's not religious. But there's definitely an element that and I think it's to do with that connection that you feel. And I suspect it's to do with with our, our roots, you know, millennia back when we lived outside and we lived in sync with the, the moon and the stars and the sun and the seasons. And I suspect when we are back in nature, we just feel we, we sort of feel as though we're home, don't we? And it's something that's um, I think most people feel it. And I think most people can't really articulate it, but we all know that it feels right. And there's this sort of joy, this very simple joy that we we can acknowledge uh, without without it sounding too airy-fairy. But there's also this, this now called the science of awe. So awe as in A-W-E, not O-A-R or O-R-E. So awe, and some people call it wonder, some people call it rapture. But that sense when you look at something extraordinary, whether that's an incredible waterfall or it's a beautiful sunset or it's you know, a very, very huge ancient tree, that feeling that you are in the presence of something and you're not quite sure what it is, it's slightly mysterious. And I think that's also the joy of it. It's, it's you know, it, it, we're curious, aren't we? We, want, we, want to, we, want to, we don't really understand why we feel so in wonder of what it is that the tree, the landscape, the, the moon, uh, but we know that it's making us feel a, a sort of sense of a rapture, I think is a great word. It's quite hard to put into words, but I think we all feel it. Well, you mentioned a few times about kind of just the evolution of humans and like the last hundred or so years of us sitting at desks or, you know, working in factories and standing around is like... We have millennia that we were never designed for that. And I I said, you know, one of my first long walks, I said, like, this just feels right for my body. It just feels like this is what I'm designed to do. And you've mentioned it a couple of times. And I wonder if it's just, you know, it's like we're trying to, to build a house and we're trying to use a spatula. And, you know, when we go for a walk, it's like, OK, we're actually using our body for what it's designed to do, which is to, you know, be active kind of from dawn from dawn till dusk. And so I, I just think that's such an interesting, interesting uh, the way you frame it that, hey, our bodies are designed for this. We should, you know, enable them to do this. Um, you mentioned a bit earlier about mixing up movement. You said, let's come back to that. And so uh, I'm interested in this because I, I never, I've never thought about this. I know nothing about this concept. So what's mixing up movement? This is another paper that came out. Um, so a, a lot of research was done into walking during the pandemic because you know I think a lot of us a lot of people couldn't do anything but walk so a lot of researchers decided oh well, we, we can't do our usual research <laughs> we might as well investigate what's happening to all these walkers so uh, as it's been a spate of research looking at uh, at the pandemic and the different ways in which people walked in the pandemic and there were a couple of things I thought were really interesting one of them was that uh, in one study 
researchers looked at a whole bunch of walkers and they looked at people who were just doing the same old walk. And I think a lot of us, because we couldn't go very far, were doing the same old walk. I know for several weeks I just walked around my park in the same direction, round and round. So they looked at those and then they compared their um, subsequent feelings, their mood, you know, how they felt over the day that followed with walkers who were going different places and, and, and being a bit more adventurous and, and getting on buses and thinking, oh, well, I'll, I'll go and visit that cemetery or I'll go on that trail. I've never done that. And the people who were doing different, you know, really more, much more varied walks uh, had much better mental health. They were much less anxious and depressed than the people who were walking around the park. Mind you, the people who were walking around the park were much less anxious and depressed than the people who were just sitting at home uh, watching uh, box sets. So I just want to put that out there. But it's definitely worth, I think, I think we all, I, I need to make an effort sometimes, not just to think, oh, I'll just get up and do my usual walk, but to just think, oh, why don't I go take a route I wouldn't normally take? Or why don't I just cycle a little bit further and, and try somewhere different? So, so varying your routes was the other thing. Uh, and the other thing after that was mixing up your movements so that you're not just just walking in the same way. So uh, either you, they would, they suggested that you mixed up your walking and you, you did a bit of, you know, a bit of running or a bit of jumping or a bit of swimming. So some of it was just mixing it up like that, but also then mixing up the walking so that sometimes you're doing a bit of backwards walking. Sometimes you're walking fast. Sometimes you're walking slowly. Sometimes, you know, you're, you've got your hands in the air just to get your body and brain, not just, not just sort of going along in the same old emotion, but the brain really likes novelty. It likes it likes change. So so mixing up those movements. So one of the things I do quite often is I walk backwards for a bit. And uh, I didn't realize this, but I was I was doing a podcast the other day. Actually, it was a radio appearance the other day. I was on the radio. And the woman said to me, she said, oh, it's, I've just come back from Japan. Backwards walking is huge in Japan. And I was like, oh, gosh, is it? She said, yeah, everyone's walking backwards in Japan. So, you know, as usual, the, the Japanese are a little bit ahead of us. But uh, backwards walking just changes how you walk. It changes everything. It changes the way in which you, if you, you, you put your foot down, you put your foot down in a completely different way. You have far, there's far less pressure on your knees. You use different muscles. And of course, you have a different view. Uh, so I always recommend if you can find a stretch, you know, not, not obviously near a river or anything dangerous, you can find a stretch of pavement, perhaps early in the morning when there's no one else around and just, you know, just do 30 seconds of walking backwards. I'm going to do that on my lunchtime walk today with my wife and just see what she says. I'm not going to tell her. I'm just going to start walking backwards, waving my arms in the air. Uh, I think she'll be she'll be surprised. But it actually, there's one boring stretch along a road, so it's it's a perfect a perfect time. Um, we haven't talked about the physical benefits, and I, I remember I hiked with this one woman who is a physiotherapist. She'd played uh, university soccer throughout her career, and afterwards uh, had played in a really competitive soccer, and she'd eventually stopped and taken up walking. Because she focused on senior citizens in her practice and she said, actually, it's very clear, at least, you know, in her practice, the seniors that were walking or cycling regularly had incredible, you know, ligaments, musculature, you know, fewer injuries. And she just said, like, you meet these people who are 85 years old with the bodies of, you know, better than 60 year olds that, you know, have not have been maybe active in different ways or not as active. Uh, that's just that's my only data point I have. She could have been lying, um, but you know, is is that true? Is is there you know a dramatic benefit to walking as you know as we age? You certainly get far fewer injuries when you walk than if you're playing you know competitive um, squash or um, you know competitive tennis or something. Yeah, so there's there's definitely less chance of injury. So she's probably right. 
Um, but the other great thing about walking is it's so democratic. So if you're age 60 and you've got a friend who's 85, you know, you can walk together. Uh, if you're aged 50 and you've got a, a three-year-old child, you can walk together. So uh, every, every, everyone can walk in a way that not everyone can play competitive squash or do jujitsu or whatever. So that's the, that's the other joy. And I think when you're doing something that's social like that, I think that's also particularly good for the, for the brain and the body is to be able to, to like your group of walkers, you know, once you're walking with people, I think that compounds many of the benefits of walking. I mean, there are times when you want to walk on your own. So I always say to people and they say, when should I walk alone? And when should I walk with someone? And I always say, you know, if you, if you need to reflect on something, or you need to, you know, you want some time to think through a problem. Uh, you want to contemplate something, then you want to go on your own. Also, if you if it's a walk and you really want to remember it, then the data shows that you should go on your own. Because if you go with people, you're far less likely to to absorb and recall later the the landscape, the scenery. Um, because you you know you're talking, you're thinking about the other people. You're making sure you don't tread on their toes. You know, it's, it's just other things happening in your brain. But when you're on your own, you know, it's all going in and it's all going straight into your straight into your little into your hippocampus, straight into that archive. So you'll probably have clearer mem memories of it later on. You know, actually, you mentioned that it's so true. Like when I go with a a group, oftentimes I remember where we stop for lunch. But I I'll get you know get to the bottom. It's like I don't remember any of the descent. It's like you know when you commute and you drive home the same way some days you're like how did I get here uh, and so that's totally true it's like when you're walking with the group it's you, you miss out kind of what's what's around my last question is is a real personal one you talked about having a walking desk and I've never met anyone who has one but I've I've talked to hundreds of people who want to have one but everyone's afraid of making the purchase and kind of the common complaint is like they're worried they're gonna fall off while they're typing or while they're working how does a walking desk work because this is like such a huge topic, at least in, in people I'm, I'm out with. Well, it's a very good point that um, that your friends are making. So, and I had exactly the same concern. <clears throat> so I went to my, I went to the gym up the road and I said, I just want to, I went, I went at three o'clock in the afternoon. So it was very empty and I took a load of work and I thought, I'm just going to see, can I read, can I read while I'm walking? And I put it on because I didn't want to, they're quite expensive walking desks. I didn't want to make that purchase and then just have it sitting there. So I sort of, so I sort of did a dry run just on a, on a regular treadmill. So I would always say to someone, if you're thinking about it, just go and find a regular treadmill and take some work and turn the speed down really low. You want to be going about, you know, maybe 2.5 kilometers an hour. So I've got quite a slow pace and then see how you get on with the reading. So I started with that and I could read fine. And then the next day I went in with a pen and I thought, can I sort of annotate and edit as I'm walking? And that was fine too. So then I went to the shop and, uh, and they let me demo it in the shop. I took some work and I spent half an hour in the shop just using, using the treadmill desk. So it has, a, it has a big desk and then the usual treadmill bit. And you can, you can vary the speed. So you can really go as slowly as you like. Or if you're doing something, for example, you're reading a book, you could, you know, you can ramp up the speed and be sort of going along quite briskly while you read. So now what I do is I, I tailor the speed according to the type of work I'm doing. So there are some things I can't do on it. I can't really do writing on it, to be honest. I can, I can take notes, I can edit, I can read, I can research, but I can't do proper writing. That I have to do sitting down. But that's really just quite a small part of, I mean, most, most people aren't doing much proper writing, are they? Most people are you know, replying to emails or checking messages or perhaps reading things through. And all of that you can do very easily while you're just walking at a slow pace.
And so typing isn't an issue. Most of my job is just typing and replying to emails and writing stuff. So typing isn't an issue with the, one of these desks? No, no. If you put it on slow and if, people, if you don't mind, the occasional typo. But actually, there's so much autocorrect now. It, it's, it's very easy, isn't it? So, so no, I think I, I would rate one. If, if you're spending a lot of sedentary time you're just at a desk, uh, that's really not very good for you. If you're very, very self-disciplined and you've got your timer on, and every 40, 50 minutes, you're getting up and walking around for 10 minutes. That's great. But I tend to get into a, a sort of, oh, I'd like to, I like to think of it as a state of flow. I don't think it's quite that, <laughs> quite that exciting, but I'll just forget, you know, I'll just forget. I'll just want to churn through a pile of work. So I don't always stop after 40, 45 minutes. So the, the walking desk solves that problem for me. Yeah. I have like a lot of days where it's, you know, nine hours and all of a sudden you're like, what the heck's happened to the day? I've just been sitting here getting cups of coffee and, and water and kombuchas or whatever. Um, so last question on this desk, because again, this is something that I think is, you know, after a talk, hey, it's even more important. I've seen some that are just like a treadmill on the bottom and you use your regular desk, but you were kind of describing an integrated walking desk. Is it kind of like one package that's the desk and the, um, you know, treadmill together as one? Yes, yeah, it's one package. It's all designed to have a sort of a laptop on it. And it's got a place for your you know, pens. It's got a place for your cup of coffee. You know? It's like a proper desk, um, but with the treadmill contraption underneath. Uh, so when I bought it, I bought it maybe four years ago, and it was about it was about a thousand dollars. I'm thinking US dollars. Um, so it was about eight hundred pounds, which seemed to, huge to me. Um, but I've used it every single day since I bought it. The only other thing I'd say is it's big and it's heavy. So you need to make sure that you have it in the right spot. You don't want it by a sunny window because, you know, you can get quite warm. Um, so you want it somewhere fairly cool and in the in the shade. And also, once it's there, you can't move it. It's just too heavy. So, you know, you know don't, don't think, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll put it in the room that's going to be the baby's room soon because you'll never get it out and the poor baby will be sleeping next to a, a treadmill desk. <laughs> I think the baby will be traumatized. <laughs> I'm so glad I had this discussion because I've thought about this for so long, and uh, I think I think tonight I'm going to be looking at uh, walking desk because uh, uh, if you've been able to use it every day for four years, that's that's a great testament. Um, you know, Annabelle, this has been exactly what I hoped this discussion would be—a whole bunch of information. So when people say walking's not important, everyone does it. Like, who cares? Uh, you just gave all the research, and you know, I know lots of. Uh, friends who are you know, people I talk with, they're very analytical. And it's always, you know, because something feels good isn't good enough. Uh, I want to thank you for sharing all this. This was super, super interesting. Oh, good. Well, thank you so much for having me and letting me share it all. For every anyone listening, uh, if you want to learn more and, you know, you want to get the actual uh, names of, you know, the scientific research and all the ideas, um, you can find Annabelle's uh, book, 52 Ways to Walk. You can find it on Amazon or your local uh, your local bookstores. Uh, she also has uh, a website. It's www.annabelleabs. Uh, that's A-B-B-S dot com. Uh, that's her other pen name. Uh, she's quite prolific in, in her writing. Uh, so I'll put, put links to both her book and her website in the show notes. Uh, and with that, this has been the most uh, scientifically informational episode. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode where we explore the world and hear about more epic adventures on the 10 Adventures podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. 
If you liked it, why not give us a review? Better yet, subscribe and get inspired again and again. Also, if you want to find your own adventures, why not check out 10adventures.com where you can use our free resources to plan your own trip or book a tour in over 60 countries and make your own epic memories on your next adventure. Thank you.